Welcome to this week's edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. My name is Michael Bailey, The Athletic's Norwich City correspondent, and I hope you and your loved ones are as safe and well as possible. I know you're all still missing football, but there's plenty to feed your football fix right now over at The Athletic, such as my feature catching up with eight of the Norwich City under-18s team that won the FA Youth Cup in 2013. A separate piece with the on-loan goalkeeper in that side, Will Britt, and the fallout of his playing career at Southampton. And a piece from my colleague Laurie Whitwell on why Manchester United have gone off the idea of recruiting a sporting director. It's a good job Stuart Webber didn't jump ship then. Uh, If you want to read any of those yourself, the good news is you can enjoy The Athletic for free for 90 days. That's three months by going to theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod. You know the format by now. Our Canaries chain gang began with Steve Morrison through Russell Martin, Andrew Crofts, and last week on to the lovely King of Spain, Simon Lapin. He looks Spanish. Uh, You can catch up with any of those on the same feed you found this. As for Mr Lapin's nomination, well, our fifth Canaries chain gang member is a man who joined from Peterborough in 2001 for the bargainous paltry sum of £500,000, is the second Norwich captain we've had on this podcast that has lifted silverware for the club and has played more games in title-winning seasons than any other player in Norwich City history, 77 of them. Thank you to Steve Sanders for that stat. Welcome to the On The Ball podcast, Mr Adam Drury. Hello, Adam. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good good evening to you. I enjoyed that little stat as well. Uh, Yeah. Now, Steve uh, reckoned you uh, clocked it on Twitter, because I think it ended up on Twitter, probably from Talk Norwich City. I think they were doing stuff with you, weren't they? uh, so yeah, you, you didn't know that. Happy with that start? It's not bad, I is am, it? Yeah, it's nice start. I've got to be delighted with that, haven't I? I, th- I think so. It's uh, you know, that's legacy right there. Well, especially after Laps nominated me to come on and, and enjoyed telling me that. Yeah, well, this generally is my first question. Uh, how happy are you that Simon uh, nominated you? I bet you love stuff like this, don't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've asked me a few times before <laughs> to do different things, so you know full well that it's not something that I do. I think it's the first podcast I've been on, if I'm honest. Oh, well, there we go. That's brilliant. It's it's the lingering delay of, you know, do I really want to say yes to this that I always like? But we, we got basically, you know, Simon's blackmailed you into it. So that's uh, that's always good. Um, and now, of course, you've got to think about, don't tell us now, but you've got to think about who you're going to nominate as well and tell us at the end of the pod. Okay. Can you re-nominate? No. Uh, <laughs> no. We, we could we deal with Simon Lapping once, but I don't know if we could have him on again. I'm only oh, joking, Simon. Good point. Good um, <laughs> Uh, the first question I wanted to ask you actually is is a kind of a follow on. I mean, how happy were you when Simon Lappin arrived? Because I think Peter Grant kind of shipped him in as as competition for left back, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he, uh, it was one of those. I'd obviously been in the side for a while. Nigel brought me in um, early on, and I'd sort of had bits and pieces of competition. But like you do every year in football, every summer or every transfer window, you're thinking they're going to bring someone else in. Every manager <laughs> likes two people for one position, so he did. But it turned out we ended up being great mates. That's nice. Was was he good? Was he was he tough competition? Or no, did not you, really. No. <laughs> yeah, I was telling him he's a midfielder. He's a left midfielder anyway. Left of the diamond, left midfield. But no, laps. Wherever you play laps, you know what you're going to get. He's a very good footballer. He's got a better left foot than me, um, and he's a modest guy as well. Um, so down to earth that he'll do a job for anyone anywhere. And you saw what it was like for him during a certain manager's era, which he outlasted him, and then came back and played a part in the, the three great years under Lambert. He did. Played the long game, didn't he? And that's it, the, it, all the nice stuff I'm going to say about laps. Now. <laughs> well, to be honest, he did well. I think we got an hour out of him last week. So, uh, Love you to bits, Simon, by the way. Um, I, it must be a bit strange being a left back and then when someone arrives who's kind of like a left wing back. It's one of those, I suppose, curios- curiosities with full back in that, I mean, wing back is quite a curious role. And if, if your manager's probably not going to play wing back, it seems a bit of a curious person to bring in I it suppose. is yeah it's, it's kind of one of those positions that when a team's playing if we're like, oh, we going to play three at the back with wing backs you're almost in your head sometimes thinking oh if we're going to play wing backs please let it be I'm going to play really high so I don't have to defend because <laughs> so wing back just says straight away I've got to do full lengths of the pitch running so if, unless you're really attack minded in a team where you can cheat a little bit it's hard work so you'd rather be the left sided centre half of the three at the back I would than be the wing back 
I mean, I, I like I like bringing it back to my own um, incredibly successful Sunday league career for Trunch. Um, <laughs> but where I did, I played left wing back sometimes and it was just like two positions. You're like, literally, you're going to want me to be the winger and the fullback at the same time. And it doesn't really matter what's going on inside me. It's never going to cover that. But the yeah, cover of those it, spaces. <laughs> this, that was we in a team where no one well. could run. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we did play it once under, I think it was under Nigel away at Bolton. We played it and I played left wing back. I remember that night thinking halfway through the game, I'm not going to last the whole game here <laughs> at this rate, the way it's being played. And obviously we didn't have a lot of the ball either at that point. But no, the game developed where everyone now, the way the game's developed, when we played a diamond, you had to do full lengths to the pitch. So just one of those jobs, you get on with it. Yeah, that's true. Um, who, who did push you hardest at Norwich positionally? Um, probably around that sort of time then obviously when Mark Tierney came in I was 30-31 I'd had a serious knee injury so I knew at that point not that I was at the end of my career but I knew things were getting tougher the way the game was being played but it's weird because when you people always say that you do have competition for places and but whenever you do training and practice drills you always go out with the person so if you're doing a crossing drill it'd be me and Mark Tierney out on the left or me and Laps out on the left or me and Michael Rose or whoever it was Jim Brennan all the people, so you two ended stood out together, yet you're the two who want that position on the pitch. But you end up getting power, pally with people because you spend so much time with them. But I would probably say Tierney. Tierney and Laps were probably the two. Oh, you've been nice to Simon as well there. That's good. Uh, I've forgotten about Jim Brennan. So you'd actually, because I would have thought, even though you're in competition in training, I guess there's a lot of work that goes on where you know, you're kind of the first choice choice side against the reserves. Does it work like that? Yeah, or as you, it, So you kind of always playing against who the who you know the manager is likely to pick? Uh, yeah, or what you, normally what you do is it would be the starting 11 versus the reserves and youth team and mix. That's what it used to be. Or just an attacking, you put the back four in that you was going to start with maybe a midfielder or two and the rest of the lads attack against you. So it's weird because like me and Hux obviously, but you'd never I never really came up against him in training because he'd either be on my side playing with me or he'd be on the opposite side of the pitch attacking someone if we were doing attack v defence so strange how sometimes it can work where in training you, and the left back would be, who I'm against would be against the opposite side of the pitch diagonally across from me so mm. or they'd swap you in and out uh, it, w- What was harder work um, being behind Darren Huckabee on, on the same side <laughs> or coming up against him in training? Um, I was, like I said we never really did come up against each other in training maybe a 1v1 drills now and then but yeah, uh, we joke about it all the time, and obviously Hux loves Twitter. He could start an argument on Twitter with no one else on it. But he, uh, <laughs> he, he, he was brilliant for me to play with. People say about his not defending, but he did all my attacking. <laughs> so I spent a good part of my career not having to go forward. That's it. And people spoke about it, but it was it was a partnership that worked brilliantly. Um, Hodgie Stuart Hodgie, we have on the on the pod, the world's favourite Scottish commentator. <laughs> he, um, he asked the question: Your favourite partner on your side of the pitch? I mean. In your time at Norwich, ever um, it's going to be Hux, isn't it? Yeah, because the the game has changed or did change. Like when I first came to Norwich, and for the first I don't know six or so years, five or six years, everyone played without and out wingers. Whereas I think as the game went further on, developed, people don't play without and out wingers as much now. As people that come inside or they're playing on the they're stronger foot. So on my side, they always used to be right footed. Now they'll be left footed and go inside all the time. But from my personal point of view, from someone to give me an outlet to attack, it had to be Hux as an out and out winger. Then when we went to a diamond, it changed because you didn't have anyone in front of you to give the ball to. So you needed good footballers because you couldn't play a winger on the side of the diamond very often. So you had Sermon, Laps, people like that who were in front of you. Or Wes, sometimes, although I didn't particularly want him. He, he tracked back even less than Hux. <laughs> it's funny how many managers, I mean, you'll have played under all of them probably, um, who tried to play Wes at, on the left wing in periods. They sort of started playing him there and they were like, yeah, that's not going to work. Well, I think... I think it was because he did it at Blackpool for a spell and he was unpliable. People couldn't get near him. And I think he might have, it might be against Norwich. He, he was unbelievable against us. Yeah. And But then, obviously, when Paul came in, they went to a diamond. It was just a perfect fit for the players we had at the time. Cool, yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, so I've got quest- some questions here from from um, from Ben and uh, Steve from the pod as well. And I've, I've got a couple from Twitter as well earlier. So we'll come on to those in a bit. Um, when you arrived at Norwich, obviously Nigel Worthington was manager. He had um, he had so much energy, didn't he? There was, so, there was such a force behind that side, you know, given they yeah. were struggling when he took over. And he obviously took over from being Brian Hamilton's assistant to, to being a caretaker and then moulding that side himself. It, 
it was such a brilliant time to follow the club because it had been such a hard time really following the club up until when Nigel got a hold of it. Um, so it must have been lovely walking into the club in that at, at that stage and then getting to the Premier League and all that. But then I'm conscious about how things change maybe the other side of relegation because then it, it never really got going afterwards. And I'm as, much, as good as it was when you came in and as brilliant as that was, I'm interested in the comparison as to what it was like afterwards as well, with, with Nigel maybe more so than the team. Yeah, well, it was. I didn't realise actually when I joined, obviously it was the old transfer window, the last Thursday in March. Oh, I'd been at Peterborough days. for a good few years, or I'll say a good few years, but what I mean by that is a lot of the young lads who had come through, and obviously people with Barry Fry in charge, were known as a, to keep going, they were a selling club at that time. Mm. And obviously Simon Davis, Matthew Etherington had gone on, and I was old, a bit older than them, and I was starting to think of I missed my chance. And Gillingham had had a look, Ipswich had had a look, and there was reports, but nothing ever came of it, or as far as I know, whether bids came in or not. But then Norwich did come in, and for me it was perfect fit, because having been released when I was a youngster, but obviously knowing, loving the club and supporting them as a kid growing up, that uh, it was going to be a chance to me. But I didn't realise at that time, not how bad things were, but how much they were, probably how they were struggling, where they were yeah. in the table. Yeah. I remember we came in, I signed on the Thursday. I think I was late to sign because it snowed, and I got stuck and lost and didn't know where, because the A11 was one one lane, I think. and. I got here late and I thought that's a good first impression when I'm trying to sign for a club. Don't want to mess up my move. I bet, that's got, the, I bet that's the only time you can be late, isn't it? When when someone wants to sign you, they're probably yeah. not going to go, I'll go back, you're late. Every other yeah. time, he'd tell you, give you a tell So yeah, it was, come and have a look around Colney and see what like, facilities are like. And by the time I got there, it was pitch black. So I couldn't <laughs> see any of the pitches or what was going on. Um, so, but yeah, then signed and played on the Saturday. I think it was Grimsby at home. It was my debut. And I, I remember the, the ground then was probably half full, yeah. I reckon. yeah. I'd have been there. Yeah, 14 odd thousand, 15,000. But straight away, and a big part of me, the reason I joined was because I knew they needed a left back and I wasn't guaranteed to play, but I knew I had a good chance if I came in and did well that that's what they wanted. It wasn't just to come in as competition for a place. It was they were looking for a regular first choice left back. And I came in and luckily things went from there. But it was, yeah, at that point then, I think it ended up with Tranmere away, Brian McGovern scoring that kind of sealed that we were going to stay up or be okay. And then things took off from there. Nigel, like you said, got things rolling, got to the Premier League. But then after that, unfortunately, it fell apart. Um, I did a piece on on the 2005 um, run-in, which was fun. And then I spoke to Dean Ashton um, as well, just before lockdown. And it was great listening to him talk about Nigel and how he was with the players. I think Dean really liked playing under him. I mean, was he quite... I mean, how much because I get he was really straight I can tell that he was really straight but also that he seemed quite fun and he'd kind of chip oh. in it seemed like he had a good balance with how to he deal did, with the yeah. he had a he had a good very good balance and he had a good like rapport with all the lads and for me obviously he signed me made me captain to go up to the Premier League at that time which was unbelievable I didn't even expect it at the time and I went and spoke to Malky and Ewan and people like that and asked him at the time because I was still in my head a kid really playing I probably didn't I probably took the captaincy and when I say it is serious to be a captain but I probably took it on board too much and thought I had to do more than what I needed to in terms of change how I played or what I did and worried about other people more than me doing my yeah. job and then uh, Nigel took it off me at a spell and said look I think you're trying to do too much you're trying to be you're not doing what you were doing that got you the captaincy and took it off me and then I started playing well again and then I got next year I, was, I got the captaincy back again but then there just wasn't the same vibe and obviously we signed Dean but it was too late when we signed him if we'd have signed yeah. him earlier we'd have definitely stayed up I've no doubt about that yeah it's um, what, I mean how does that conversation go with uh, with, with Malky and Flem <laughs> is it like hey guys uh, so I'm I'm going it to be it was kind of like that yeah right it, was kind, that? it was kind of like that I remember in training I, uh, I think it was either Dougie or Steve Foley had come and got me and said look Nigel wants to speak to him we were out in the training pitch and he said I've been thinking about it I want to make you captain I did in my head at that point then I didn't really know what he was going to ask that wasn't even in my mind and I thought brilliant then I thought oh god I've got Ewan <laughs> I've got Malky I've got these big characters in the dressing room I hope I'm not treading on any toes because they are and they were all brilliant with me because when I joined the club I was 20, 21 coming in and yeah. they uh, I did I actually spoke to them and they said nah go for it it'll be, it'll be brilliant for you you'll love it and they, they helped me as well so really I didn't because I was never a shouter until I got older in my career yeah. in that respect but they just said no just do lead by example how you do the way you train and they used to call me the silent assassin in training because the way I trained I trained how I played if there was a tackle to be won I'd go in and win it didn't matter who it was against 
you, and people didn't see it coming. I got the nickname Silent Assassin. <laughs> well, you know that's that that's um, sinister, but that, yeah. that, that's that, that's good. I mean, did they then mock you afterwards, or were they actually quite kind to you about being captain? Uh, no, they were actually pretty good. They oh. were actually took took it pretty well. Like, they 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 wind each other up, or they wind Malky up about it and say, "Oh, Malky, but you wish that was you, didn't you?" and stuff like that and <laughs> that sort of stuff. But no, it was all, and that was that team. Like I think most players you'd speak to say, when things you find when a team's got that sort of spirit or that togetherness about it is normally when things go well, when it, you, you you end up doing well in a in a league or a cup and that sort of stuff, and that has proved that every good squad I've been in at, at the football club. Oh yeah, can you um can you still picture the view when you lifted the championship or first division as it was then trophy? Yeah, it's surreal, hall? very surreal. The, just the whole day, everything about it from. And also going on to win it the way we did. I don't think because no one would have expected it. And to then to, it was the perfect finish almost for being on City Hall to get the trophy the first time we got it. Brilliant. It was a bit weird that you didn't get to lift it before that. I mean, it's, I'm thinking of last season, obviously, which I'm sure would have brought back memories for you, by the way. Um, we had you know, the celebrations on the yeah. pitch at Villa Park and then everyone basically had could barely open their eyes because they'd been up drinking probably until they <laughs> ended up on the balcony lifting the trophy again like you did. But um, for some reason in 2004, uh, that was the first time you got your hands on the trophy and the football had been done for 24 hours or whatever. Yeah, how, yeah it, was, it was strange that way. I didn't, it, was, it was weird how it was done, but... It turned out actually to make it, I don't know if you can say it, make it a better day, but a bit more of a surreal experience with it being the first time you get it and sort of the anticipation and waiting to lift it and do the celebration part. That's beautiful. Um, Just, I'm I'm going to try and get an answer out of you. So when, after relegation with Nigel, could you you sense anything different of him? Because a lot of people felt... And, and you know maybe not making it personally about Nigel, but obviously a lot of people just felt that the assumption was well he's been here a long time and sometimes things go stale. But 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 was it that or was Nigel doing anything different or was was the group yeah. different? Not not particularly. No, I think I think I think it, it obviously like it hurt everyone to, in the manner of what we did where we almost got ourselves out of trouble or we were out of trouble and then put ourselves in the last day. Uh, with the capitulation of what happened. Yeah, we don't need I to talk about Fulham, don't worry. The right. squad kind of got pulled apart. No, I don't really talk about it ever, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it, then the squad got pulled apart a little bit and it just didn't have that same feel to it, I don't think. You know, like sometimes things click and then after that it just didn't didn't feel the same. And I think Nigel it hurt him like it did everyone. And I think he then started to, I wouldn't say he didn't have the same relationship with the lads, but it just didn't have that same feel about it. Sometimes things, everything comes to an end at some point. There's always a sort of a, a lifespan. I think it did literally come towards that where we had a way of playing. Obviously, you'd lost Malky, lost Ewan, which again, were, I think, were big parts of missing from the Premier League at time. So I think that's what it was. I think that was a big part of it. Is there anything that sticks in your mind about that Premier League season other than how it finished? But um, I always think about how good Arsenal were when they came to Carrow Road. They were. They were phenomenal, yeah. and that was quite early in the it was, season. It was, yeah, it was very early because I remember I, I can some they crossed out. Obviously, they were total football, and they played one into the <laughs> box, and it came to me, and I controlled it, and I thought, that's easy, I can play my way out here like they did. And someone, I think Piers or someone, took it <laughs> off me and scored. I thought, right, I have to liven up a little bit. <laughs> I think um, they were still unbeaten then, weren't they, from the Unbeaten yeah, team? Yeah, they were, they were, and that was one of the games where you thought, wow, this is because we'd played Palace, and then, then it was them, I think, or something like that, and it was like, whoa. And obviously, being captain, I was lining up in the tunnel, and I think in our first five games we'd had we had Liverpool, Spurs, them. There was like a run of games where it was like, wow, walking out <laughs> of each ground, and it was it was it was brilliant, but an eye opener. But it's where you want to be. That's what you play football for. This is true. This is true. And um, later on, in I that got season. married that summer as well, which I, know, I think I lapsed. Got married that summer got- as well, actually. I got you- married in the the 05 summer, so just after we'd been relegated. Ah. Oh. Oh. So that, that was good going into a wedding, obviously with that the absolute annihilation. I think um, I think Simon um, Lappin said he got he got married in the summer the after yeah after yeah, the relegation League to League One, One yeah League One. Yeah. What is it about footballers getting married in relegation <laughs> relegation I don't seasons? Know, but I do remember we went, we went away, went on our honeymoon, and uh, walked into the hotel, and all I heard was a shout across the bar from nowhere. Was, all right, Bowlegs, what are you doing here? And Hux was in the same hotel. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, just when we, after we've been relegated, I'm one person I want to get away from. On your honeymoon? Yeah. Oh, that's rude. I know, I, yeah. So. He, I, you know what? I don't think that's an accident. 
I think he's done that. I think he's done that on purpose. I think he was he was missing you. That was the problem. Yeah. Um, the one thing we've got to touch on in that season is obviously the the Middlesbrough four four game because you got the goal in injury time to make it four four. Norwich having been four one down with about ten minutes to go or something stupid. Uh, Steve Sanders has, um, wanted to get this question in. Uh, can you describe the emotions at that moment and what were you doing up there in the first place? Um. Well, to answer what I was doing up there is because I was always told to stay back, being a fullback and not very tall and never allowed to go forward because I never took any set pieces. Normally I'd stay back, me and the other fullback or someone else would stay back on the halfway line to stop the counter-attack, but they didn't, because it was the last minute, they brought everyone back. So I just thought, all right, I'll go into the box. And that, as you watch, when you watch it back, no one even thought bothering a mark in me because they probably didn't know who's number three now don't worry about him um, so and then Hux put it in and it was just one of those ones where it all sort of goes slow motion and not being a great goal scorer um, these moments don't happen very, didn't happen very often for me so it was I did to be honest I didn't really know what to do but that you can't describe the agile or the sort of feeling you get the, the adrenaline everything that comes over and forget the scenario of the game just scoring a goal for me was huge so led it to be a last-minute equaliser was incredible. I still, and I didn't actually play that well in the game either. So don't worry I about that. that up nicely. This is this is the joy of football. No, it doesn't matter exactly. what happens over the over the game unless you, as long as you get a good result at the end of it. I think that's the only time where I've um, I can't remember where I was, but I wasn't at the game and. Um, I just sort of, it was 4-1 so I sort of switched off and it wasn't until about two hours later that I checked the score and had to sort of rub my eyes at what had happened absolutely remarkable well, just, I speak to a lot of people still and that's one of the things they always talk about is that goal and a lot of people saying they were going out the ground and they heard it go 4-2 so they came back in a lot of people when they were going to leave because the ground went from sort of being empty in to where obviously a goal because they were going in so quick a few people came back in so it kind of filled up a little bit again so it's strange <laughs> I love that filling back up again um <laughs> Uh, was it uh, the back four during that season probably the shortest back line in history do you reckon it got pretty short didn't it yeah it would have done yeah it was very short Simon Charlton Simon Charlton yeah Craig Fleming Flem yeah and yeah Thomas Helveg at right back sometimes (laughs) so it was yeah it it was it weren't the biggest (laughs) there weren't many teams that just whack it long which probably didn't suit us because well would have helped us but so we there was kind of a way, of, we didn't have another way of playing either. I think it's a big part of that season for the Premier League year yeah. going after that. I think everyone knew that our way of playing was get the ball to Hux and then sort of leave him to it and he'll do something and get us. But obviously when you go up to the Premier League, I'm not saying Hux can't do it, but it's a big ask for him to do it week in, week out for 90 minutes against every team. And I think we ended up changing it a little bit probably when Dean came in and it helped us. It gave us another out, outlet, another way of playing, another sort of focal point, and we mixed it up a little bit more. Hundred percent, yeah, I can absolutely bang on. Um, I I did want to talk about Peter Grant, but I, I'm always conscious of what what to really ask in in that period because it's it, a top it fella. Was, yeah, well, top man, great coach, gave long answers to questions he was yeah. asked, and probably coached in a similar manner. I mean, he's had a great coaching career it's probably noticeable I think it's the only management job he's really had was the was was the one at Norwich and I've always enjoyed uh, speaking to to Peter yeah. as well I'm, I'm almost more interested in what happened afterwards with with Glenn coming in because that's kind of um pinned up as that oh god look at this kind of um era <laughs> but um maybe more most specifically being a player in a in a group where you've got so many loan players coming in who who are who are there for a short period, or and there's quite a big turnover, and you've got new ones coming in and, and people leaving. I mean, did you did you lose track at any point? Because <laughs> I don't even know if I could list it was, all of the players. It was, who that, went in. that kind of era, that spell at the club, because obviously I was at the club for such a long time as a player. It's kind of the bit where it gets a bit blurry. Because in that, in <laughs> it's that, not just honestly, you. <laughs> no, it's not. Honestly, in that period as well, I was injured because just as Peter got sacked, I think Jim Duffy took over for three games. We played Bristol City at home, and I did my knee. At the time, I didn't know it was my knee. I thought it was my calf and it had been treated as a calf and the physios, it was nothing to do with them. It was just how it was presenting with scans and all that. And then I remember I was walking down some stairs and my knee kept giving way. And I wow. went with a physio to see a specialist. Went in, sat down. He went, well, that's you done. And I was like, what? Well, that's you done. That's you out for the rest of the season. This was October. I was like, what do you mean? We haven't got a manager. You know, in your head as a footballer, your first thought is, well, we haven't got a manager. Yeah. What's going to happen? Um, and all this sort of stuff. 
Um, luckily, I still had a contract, but when it, and it went from being, so I was just in tears with Neil Reynolds, who was the physio at the time. But then Glenn Roder came in after three more games. He came in. I remember sitting in the dressing room thinking, it's not what you want when a new manager's coming in. You know, you're not even going to play all this season. Yeah. Um, and he came in, and his first impression, I thought straight away, was strange the way he acted. Um, talking about him not being a ranter and a raver on the touchline and what he demands. And then he just walked straight out again. And it was kind of like, well, that's a bit odd, a bit strange. After Peter, who was very chatty and this. And then from there, it just seemed that year, or was how long, I didn't know how long it was. A year, was it? A year and a... It, uh, it was from the November to the January. So yeah, about 18 months, I think. Yeah, and it was a, a lone player after lone player came in and it was just a surreal time. It was a really strange, strange time. Obviously, I was seeing it all from afar. Obviously, the stuff with Hux and other lads that were almost cast aside and with no sort of, what I'd say, man management about it. It was, it was, and obviously if someone like Hux, who I'm very close to, I remember speaking to him after a away game and the way Glenn had spoke to him, and Hux has probably never spoke about it to anyone, but said to me about it on the phone. And it, it hurt him, it hurt him bad, the way he'd spoke to him. That's, yeah, that's interesting as well, because I think, um, I think it popped up on Twitter from Rewind Norwich City, the footage of the Sheffield United uh, Sheffield Wednesday game at Hillsborough, which was the last game of the season, where uh, Dion obviously got his big goodbye, um, and Hux was kind of left waiting. Not no, I think he scored in that game as well. Scored he a really good goal. A great goal, yeah. Um, and he never really got that goodbye. And we actually did a Q and A. I did a Q and A on the Athletic this afternoon, sort of basically asking people what's the one thing in Norwich City history that you would change. And someone mentioned that game. It's like even though it didn't, wouldn't have had any particular bearing on Norwich's history, that the an injustice really of, of someone like Darren Huckabee, who, who came in as such a big name, a guy that, you know, everyone in English football kind of knew because they knew what he could do. And he, often, yeah. even if you knew it, you couldn't stop it. Turns up at Norwich, who had to really push the boat out to get him, becomes such a huge favourite, such a committed player to the cause over really good times and really bang average times. Yeah, and, did, yeah. and yet didn't get any kind of a goodbye. I mean, even now me saying that, you're still like, that's, oh, that's you know, and talk, talk about first world problems, but not really fair. No, he didn't. And yeah, I know exactly what you mean, but he didn't get a proper send-off like you see a lot of players have done in recent years. That's part of the reason why I wanted him to play in my testimonial was because of that. And it wasn't necessarily to for people to say goodbye to him, but it's because I wanted a chance for him to be back out on the pitch because I didn't get a chance to play then when he left the club, because obviously I was out injured the whole time. And uh, it was it was just a really strange feeling. I knew he was struggling with his hip, when it, but Hux being Hux just played on with it and just wanted to get through it and wanted to get on with it. And he's a big personality and I don't think, although he, he was okay with Dean, I don't think Glenn particularly liked it. Um, I, I'd say I can only imagine what it was like for you then, being injured during most of Glenn Roder's reign and then loads of lone players coming in and out. I mean, you, given you wouldn't have been training with them and you'd have probably just been around the... I mean, it, it must have literally been like, I don't know who all these people yeah, are. Yeah, it, it was. And it was tough because at the time as well, I'd, I'd done my knee and what it was, I'd done, most people do their cruise shit. I'd done sort of the outside of my knee. And with my shaped legs, it's never a good because <laughs> I look like I've just got off a horse. So are and, we definitely uh, calling you bow legged here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, okay. And so it was one of those ones at the time, I didn't realise quite how bad it was. I knew it was a bad knee injury, but I didn't realise, obviously, with my biomechanics and how I am, how bad it could be. And it wasn't until I spoke to Neil Reynolds about it, and he was brilliant, and we had Pete, Pete at the time, sure, and then we had Dave Carolan, and Dave was first class with me as well. I've got to give him a mention, because I spent the best part of a year in rehab with him every day, so doing different work and different stuff. And then Glenn came in, and it, he changed a few things around and changed people around, and the next team, that, the physios and that that came in then were brilliant with me. But it was, it was a surreal time to be sat there, and like you said, there was just player after player, turnover a player, when... Up until that point, I know Nigel's time hadn't worked, had finished and Peter had come in. They put a bit of a squad together, but it just seemed to be getting dismantled all the time. And you weren't really sure because you never know what you're going to get with lone players. Sometimes you think there could be a Hux who comes and absolutely falls in love with the place and wants to stay, but there could be someone who comes along and doesn't really fancy it and know they're going to go back somewhere. Do, do any of them stick in your mind? Um, I mean, I'm thinking we had Leroy Lita who... 
um, scored a fair few goals in, and yeah. always had a good track record. David, I love David Bell. Yeah, he was never really fit enough to, to no, keep playing. So he never, he never, yeah, he never, he never really got going. Obviously, you had uh, Ryan Bertrand, Kieran Gibbs, Troy Archibald, Henville. There was there was Omar Karoma. Like the list goes on and on of lads that came in at the time, and it was almost as well you felt because they were on loan. Glenn gave them more leeway. Sure. As opposed to the lads that were already there, what the things they did went more unnoticed, and because they were from big clubs, they were actually good lads, I must say. Ryan Birch, and uh, you can see what he was—you could tell straight away he was going to go and do very well for himself. But they—they uh, they almost were given a bit more license, a bit more freedom. And it's worth noting as well how much change that was around the club uh, behind the scenes, like you said, with with the teams and and the the backroom staff as well. I think. I remember there were quite a few changes when Glenn first came in. I think yeah, he, there was. He, yeah, it was. He kind of cleared a lot of people out who had been at the club for a while for no apparent good reason. That's probably the best way to put it. it Which is like it was kind of like he wanted his own people. Fine, I get that. But there's a way of obviously if you're going to let people go, I think treat people how you'd want to be treated. Hundred percent. And then it's a bit difficult when you're not in your job eighteen months later and everyone <laughs> yeah. wants to leave. <laughs> um, Relegation to League One, um, is that as low as anything or was maybe getting injured and going through all that? Was that? Yeah, because that, oh. that I sort of came back towards the end of that and it was the end of that where I was still having problems with my knee and I played a few parts. Was that 08, 09? It was indeed. Yeah, I played a few bits and pieces here and there, but I never felt right. And then I went to the game at Charlton on the last day and it was to see the fans and what happened, obviously every right to act the way they did because we weren't anywhere near, near good enough and it was it was a real low a real real low and I think Gunny was in charge at that point and it was it was it was one of those things it's a memory that sticks with you because of how bad it was and rightly so in terms of the reaction and the atmosphere it was awful I remember uh, I was at the beam back at Carroll Road for the last game season so I wasn't at the Valley which is probably nice, but <laughs> to yeah. be a bit sheltered. Uh, but someone put on a, a put on the gate some some flowers with an R.O.P. note <laughs> after relegation. It made a very good photo, but um, it probably summed up the atmosphere. Now we've um, we've spoken to quite a few of the guys. Obviously, went through the Lambert era, so I'm quite conscious we've we've we. It's it's obviously such an iconic phase of modern Norwich City history to go from the lowest point to back where the club kind of believes it belongs in such a short space of time you know it's a, a ridiculous yeah. achievement and how Paul Lambert turned everything around have you got any bits or pieces and I, I appreciate I'm asking you to condense three years here but any bits and pieces that, that stand out just some prized memories because they were so different weren't they like League One the League One promotion as brilliant as it was was kind of like it's just making up for how things had gone wrong then the yeah. championship, and, and that's brutal. But that you know, some people didn't even think that it should have been celebrated, which was ridiculous. Come the end of it, but um, and then you have getting promotion to the championship, which the club had tried to do for like the previous four years and couldn't do, and all of a sudden they just plough through. And then staying up in the Premier League, which as we've seen, however many times, is is so difficult to do. And and then that happened as well. It's just a remarkable feat in itself in, yeah, in so many different was, ways. I think that was the big point of it, the staying up part, because. It had not been easy, but like you said, it's not it's not done that often where people go up like we did when I did it the first time. You got to the Premier League and came straight back down. That could easily have happened because we didn't go out and get loads of players. They brought in two or three again, added to the squad, and it ended up being pretty comfortable in staying up in the end that season. And I think that was just down to sheer belief. I think it was what was instilled us at that point, but I knew Paul wasn't going to stay, or I had a very good idea that Paul wasn't going to stay. Oh, did at the you? End of that season, because I spoke to him not long towards the end of the season. He offered me a one-year contract to stay. Yeah, but there was coaching involved in it, and I'd done no coaching badges at that point, and this sort of stuff. And I just thought to myself, this. It almost felt like he was doing it to be nice, or, or not, not nice, because I wouldn't say Paul would do it out of that, but almost like because I'd been there since he joined. Because I remember after we the League One when he took over, he actually asked me, "Did you play against us on the first day?" at Carrow Road against Colchester and I was like yeah and he went oh well I don't remember you so you can't have been as, as bad as some I was like, oh. <laughs> that was his way of giving me a compliment and yeah uh, but right. I remember like in the Premier League that in that season when he offered me the contract and coaching I had no badges and I just thought to myself I've just played I don't know 
12, 14 games in the Premier League and I was in my 30s. So, because at that point then I'd had my knee injury and like I said earlier on, them three years, I was 31 coming up. So I went, I was turning 34. But I just thought I still could do a job, whether it was Championship or wherever. So I wasn't going to take it. So I thought the coaching one, if Paul's going to leave, which I thought, he didn't say it. I thought then I'm going to be on this coaching contract. Whoever comes in isn't going to want me as a coach. So I want to carry on playing for a bit longer. So yes. I had an idea then. Then That's we went away to Vegas because we'd stayed up. And I remember getting a phone call from Neil Warnock when I was out in Vegas and thought it was a wind-up. <laughs> I love Neil. I, love, I always enjoy talking to Neil Warnock when I've done it on the few occasions. Yeah, well, no, he has. I went there and I didn't play, really. He didn't, I wasn't his cup of tea. I went there and it's funny because obviously when we were, I was at Norwich in the early years with Norwich and everyone saw me as an out-and-out pure defender. I went to Leeds and I, I tried to play. I was all about playing playing football and they all, I've got put on a few set pieces and stuff like that and they all thought I had a great left foot which is ironic because my early years at Norwich it was always seen as I is good 1v1 which was what my game was about yeah. but as you get older you get more comfortable on the ball and you like to join in and play and that sort of stuff but I just wasn't his cup of tea but he was he was never out of order with me Neil he was always good for a laugh and looked after me and that sort of stuff and I was there for two years and then went Bradford on loan at the end towards the end but no I, he wasn't he wasn't, and Brian McDermott came in as well while I was at Leeds, but he wasn't in any way, shape or form. He's a character and you can see why he's had the success he has. Cool, he gets yeah. his players around him. He does indeed. I, I never thought of the uh, the compliment that you're a great one-on-one defender being actually um, a possible backhanded slight against your quality on the ball. <laughs> but now now you've kind of just almost said that. Um, uh, well, I was going to ask you, um, have you been to Leeds since you played up there? Um, yes, I did, did the radio there when I think Johnny Housen scored the outside of his foot for Norwich against oh. Leeds and then didn't celebrate a great goal as well yeah but that was like Radio Norfolk commentary it was indeed yeah, yeah that, that doesn't count uh, but that's I, a lot of times I haven't, I haven't yeah because I was at Norwich for so long I, I hadn't played Nor- against Norwich I hadn't played against Peterborough until I joined Leeds and we played Le- Peterborough away oh wow um, and that was when my son learnt a few of his songs football songs because he sat in the Peterborough bit right next to the Leeds fans which oh I, yeah he learnt a few choice words but yeah the it, end of all that that three years was probably the uh before going to Leeds, was obviously my testimonial. That was probably one of the big things that Paul obviously had a big hand in sorting out with Celtic coming down and stuff like that. Yeah, that that is on my list as well, actually, because that was that was a great occasion. And clearly, any player who spent such a long time at Norwich, everyone wants to send, to give them that send off to get Celtic down. I mean, that the thing I love is when a testimonial is something you wouldn't ever normally see. And I think Celtic and those fans at Carrow Road was brilliant. It was quite a strange game as well in that there was obviously so much speculation around Paul as well that it, I, I remember working and it just being this sort of, uh, you know, you had two things. You had the great celebration of you and then, yeah, but what's happening with Paul? And it, it, it was a proper mix. But It was, yeah, because we weren't sure Holt he was going to stay either. Oh, he that's right. Contract stuff with yeah. the club. Um, and on top of that as well, because I wanted a mix, I wanted, I wanted like obviously to get some of the other lads back that had been involved uh, while I was playing and I wanted Hux to play but obviously Hux at that point didn't see eye to eye with Paul so I had to go and ask Paul if it was okay if Hux played and uh, so it was all a little bit because Hux at one point when Paul had took over had wrote a, he had a website at the time or a, a charity I can't remember what it was and he used to do match reports and he'd been pretty scathing in one of his match reports about a couple of the lads Hux did? Uh, yep Oh, I don't and, know if uh, I've ever read those. Oh, and I remember. Did he used to write them. Hang on, did he used to write them himself? I very much doubt that. <laughs> um, um, and I remember it because we were sat at Colney in the dressing room, changing rooms, ready for training, and then uh, Ian Colvouse came in and put someone on the wall, taped it up, and then Paul came in and went into one about this report and said, "And it's your mate," and pointed at me, and I was like, "Oh no, what is it?" And it was obviously this report Hux had wrote about a few of the lads and went mad at me about it as if it was me. So then that. Him and Hux then had a, I think they must have spoke to each other or something had happened, but I wanted Hux to play my testimonial game, so I had to go and ask Paul, and he was good as gold about it, said he could play no problem and all that sort of stuff. It was just <laughs> at the time, they'd obviously had a bit of a falling out I'm, um, a bit I, before. I'm double-checking now. I can't remember Darren Huckabee having a column a, for us for us at the evening news, did he, maybe? No, no, it was, a, it was his nice. own individual. He had a charity or a, something at one point, and it was in that. He used to do match reports and stuff like that. I'll talk about oh. the games. Wow. I'm going to have to try and dig those out. He anyway, definitely didn't write himself. No. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to have seen that. Let's not be harsh. Um, well, yeah, and the rest of that was all history, obviously, with um, 
with 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 Paul, and uh, nothing was yeah. ever the same again. No, it wasn't. Um, no. <laughs> um, here's a good one from from Steve. He wanted to wanted to know you're at left back. Who makes up the rest of your dream Norwich City back four? Oof, back four. I mean, there's no warning that, for you on this question. No, so it's not at all. Is that going off who are people who I've played with? or I reckon so, yeah. But, you know, if you've seen any of the current crew and you'd stick them in, then bear in mind you'd then be putting them ahead of your old teammates. So, yeah, not sure uh, how well that would go down. No. <laughs> oh, it's, it's hard because the best, the, probably the best in terms of defensive team I played in at the club was the one in 04-05. Yeah. Or 0304 with Malky, Flem, and Mark Edworthy at the time. Although Russ Martin would definitely probably come in at right back, I think. I loved Eddie, but I think Russ Martin. And two centre backs. Who else would there be? There'd be Zach, Michael Nelson, uh, Elliot Ward. Elliot Ward, yeah. If you played with him. Goalies, obviously, we've had Ruddy, Fraser Forster, Greeny. Yeah, I was going to ask you about goalies. That's a, that's a, that's a tough trio. Oh, and wow. the year, what year, was it the Premier League year? The year before, Robert Green was as good as I've seen goalie that year. Yeah. He was unbelievable. And we, we haven't even mentioned about the, the playoff year, the run to the playoff final. That was another yeah. one that you talked about memories. The final of that, obviously the two games against Wolves and then the actual final itself, even though we lost and the penalties and everything. As a day, I don't think I can think of another day that was quite as memorable for a weird way, for weird reasons. Just one half blue, one half yellow. Millennium because of the roof being closed, the atmosphere. I mean, was unreal. And also, did you did did you think it was um, golden goal when Ewan scored, or was it just Ewan on his own thinking that he'd scored? I think it's it? probably just Ewan. <laughs> and at that point, everyone was so tired anyway, and you didn't really. You're just thinking, oh, there's got to be. We've got to keep going. Surely anything could happen here. Now but it was, yeah. That and that. If you'd have asked me before the game, would you fancy us on penalties? I said yes because of how good the lads were in training and practice. But it's one of those things. You got someone like Phil Ryan dead ball specialist who then changed his mind and whacked it rather than placed it like he had done and such you had never missed that sort of stuff but that, that, that is what it is but that was a day itself the atmosphere and that was incredible uh, I guess there was zero to, I mean where would you have come in the 11 to take the to take a penalty just after Greeny probably just after <laughs> yeah fair enough Here's a good one. This is from Ben Mounter, who obviously we have on the podcast regularly as well, because you're in, as was Simon, in my piece when I went to Wroxham just before lockdown with the FA Vars game, because you're there as assistant manager at the moment, non-league Wroxham, brilliant setup, Norfolk club, a great run in the FA Vars as well. Sadly, it came to an end when I was at the game, but you, know, you, can, you can blame me for that. That's fine. Yeah, uh, that. <laughs> and again, like Simon, you're working with the Community Sports Foundation at the club at the moment. So I can imagine you're really missing football because it's still such a big part of your life but um, what's the biggest this is from Ben what's the biggest lesson you've learned since coaching at a local level or, or at a non-league level like Wroxham because it's it must be such a, an eye-opening experience in so many ways compared to the professional game yeah it is and I think that's a big part of it is the I think the standards you want ever change that's one thing that like you might by that I mean whoever you're t- uh, coaching I still want them to work hard still play with a smile on their face but maybe what you expect is a little bit different in terms of where you're playing on the ball or the quality might be a little bit less but I still think you, you demand the best from people of what they can give and that hasn't changed but yeah I think that's the reason I've, I've done it a little bit as well it's because I do want to coach it's something that I'm really keen to do but I've got no God given right to be a good coach I've got to learn my trade a bit like I did as a player I believe I think just because you've played doesn't mean you're automatically going to be able to go out and coach and tell people what you want from and how to do it I think getting your message across is the biggest thing and the game's changed a lot as well hugely in terms of man management from when I first started playing back to when I was 18, 19 making my debut and it was a lot of shouting and bawling at players and digging them out <laughs> to what it is now the player power's changed the game's changed a lot so I think you've got to be able to adapt as well. Uh, coaching over management? Um, no, I'd do management. I, I like oh. the idea of management. I like to if, if live and die by your own decisions, what you, you, who you pick and choose. Yeah, fair play. Um, we've got a few questions from Twitter, uh, so let's rattle through some of these. Uh, Robin, thanks for these, by the way, um, girls and guys. Uh, Robin Sampson says, which managers did you most and least enjoy playing under and why? Um, who did I most enjoy playing under? 
any of the ones you won with, win it. Whoever, it sounds awful. Whoever, whoever, you, whoever you're winning with, you, you enjoy it, don't you? It's simple. Uh, um, Such a simple game, football. Yeah, it is. But obviously Nigel, because he brought me in. I wouldn't necessarily say the way we played then. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I was basic, but a lot of mine was like play down the line. Whereas I think as we Paul came in and the game changed, we played a diamond. You had to join in a lot more. Which which was enjoyable. You got forward a lot more. I'm not saying I brought a lot to the table when I went forward, but <laughs> <laughs> great one on one defender. That's the yeah, thing, Adam. Great one exactly. on one defender. But um yeah, that so there'd be the sort of times and obviously Glenn when he came out I didn't play. So if when I look over back over my time at Norwich, there wasn't a big spells in there where we weren't doing a lot. There was always pretty much a lot of the time. We were doing all right. There was only probably that little spell after we got relegated from the Premier League two years, then I was injured for two. So <sighs> Two years out, God, ouch. It's a long old time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. not ideal. I don't need to tell you that. Um, Seamus, uh, who's the best right winger you've defended against? Oof. That is a good question. Someone um, asked me this, I can't think what it was, and I went, I went through a list of the people I did play against, obviously Ronaldo. You got that Bale. on your wall? There, just, Ronaldo, just a list. Ronaldo, Bale, um, Aaron Lennon. So I think going through them all was... Well, I mean, Aaron Lennon's good, but I'm not sure he's at Ronaldo and Bale's uh, level. Yeah, uh, true, yeah. Um, it, was, it was Nathan Dyer at Swansea always found tough to play against. I've said him a few times before, the way Swansea played at that time, and to- they were total football, kind of a mm. bit like the way Arsenal played. Um, he'd probably be right in the mix, just for an individual personal how like tough to play against he'd would definitely be in there is pace or movement the way he moved or with the ball without yeah it was a, a, bit, a bit of both because i was never lightning quick but i never really got done for pace i just obviously body position all the stuff i was taught all the stuff i was brought up at peterborough um by a coach there called chris turner he used to teach me every day 1v1 defending and mm. that was kind of when the game was all about that as a defender as a fullback your job was to stop their winger simple that was it so i was always when we went into 1v1 sessions, most of the lads were, oh God, this, I can't believe we're doing this. I'd be actually buzzing for it <laughs> because it was something that I loved doing. Um, whereas the rest of the lads wanted to be doing shooting and stuff like that. Someone like Wes, I know he was on our team, but he was a nightmare to play against. I remember one pre-season, we went away and used to do, it'd be a small pitch, obviously two four-size goals, I don't know, 20 or 30 yards apart and the ball would come in and the rest of the lads would be on the outside and it'd be 1v1 in the middle for 90 seconds. Yeah. And I remember I got 90, so the ball never left because if they had a shot and it went wide, there was always someone on the outside to pop it back in and yeah. it never went dead. And I remember I had Wes and Anthony and Mac and me one straight after the other as my two players. It was a nightmare. Ouch. Good old things like Things like that were what I thrived on. But yeah, they'd be some of the, probably Nathan Dyer would be one of the ones who'd be, I found tough to play against. Good shout, I like that. Uh, Daniel Emery, if you could bring any of your former teammates back to play in the current Norwich squad, who would it be? Ooh. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, put me on the spot there. I think, I think someone like a Dean Ashton to, would be good to go along with Pookie. Oh. Would be a, for Dean Ashton, uh, still to this day, if he hadn't have, unfortunately, if I've spoke to him about it before his injuries, and that I've said, and I've said it many times, he'd have gone on to be a superstar. Yeah. Not that he wasn't a good footballer and star anyway. He would have gone right to the very top. He was very, I wouldn't say underrated, but I don't think people realise how good he was or how good he would have been. I know West Ham fans still talk about now how good he was. And probably another one, not for the same reason, but in the current team now would be a Hux, just to change it a little bit, direct, because they play uh, a lot of football. That's a great shout with the with the pace, definitely, yeah. 100%. Um, uh, plug for my Dean Ashton interview. If you haven't read it, go read it. Um, I still owe him a coffee as well uh, even writing that piece uh, it surprised me how young he was when he retired um, and then Jack finally from Singing from the Nest um, who was the worst trainer at the club um, but then would pull it, but then would pull it out of the bag on a match day Grant Holt yeah I, 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 I think we I think we all knew that one was coming good old Grant um, but you he's know, another one Holt what he did for the football club I, I haven't mentioned him yet I try because I normally end up yeah, well about done. all the time but, yeah, yeah, nah, yeah. he's another one Holt he was phenomenal what he did in the spell he had here so sometimes it's a fit when it works yeah you, you find a place to call home almost 
Uh, yeah, three player of the season awards. Yeah, he was rubbish at training. It's quite right. remarkable, really. He never really about talks it. about the three player of the season awards either. So no, no. next time you talk to him, see if he brings it up. I'll, I'll see how long that takes. So we'll do a sweep on it. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, it's time to wheel out our fifth Carrow Road classics. Uh, these, Adam, are set questions. We've asked everyone these exact same questions so far. So now it's your turn. Um, I remember Simon Lappin saying uh, that I, he wished I'd given him some notice of what these were because that would <laughs> help him answer it. it. He, loves, he loves a moan. He, he I'm did. He, yeah, he, he did. He even acknowledged that he loves a moan. Um, uh, so I haven't given you notice of these either. So apologies for that. But, um, you know, a man of your calibre, I'm sure you'll be able to answer them uh, beautifully. Uh, so here we go. Uh, your Norwich City highlight. <laughs> Blimey. Um, we spoke about probably most of them. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky I've had, been at the club so long, I've had so many. I've definitely had more ups than downs. Uh, uh, player of the season, obviously, being a left-back's one that, I'm proud of because oh, it's, it's not, a great it's not, shout. It's not normally one that you get being a left back. It's not easy to win. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think testimonial though, just that day, the, the night, my wife and my kids coming on the pitch and the people being there, I'm not saying they're just there for me, but it was kind of a great way to finish my time because I knew it was coming to an end at the time. I didn't say it, but I knew it was after I said about the contract thing with Paul and I wasn't going to take it. I just think after the spell we've been on to finish in the Premier League to end up what 33 34 haven't played in, been playing in the premier league it was yeah so it'd probably be my testimonial even though there's been city hall and winning league one i think it'd be a testimonial great shout love it uh your favorite teammate god blind me i've had <laughs> i've had hundreds <laughs> um, yeah favorite teammate oh, i could sit on the fence so easily yeah. you um, could but that would be so disappointing well, I work with Laps. I was going to so say, it's, it's probably about who you need to keep sweet, to be brutally yeah, honest. I work with Laps, but I'm his boss, so I won't say him. Fine. Yeah. Uh, Huck's obviously I'm great mates with to this day. Yeah. So it'd probably be him. Uh, Trying to think, who else? David Fox I get on well with. But yeah, it'd probably be, probably be Huck's. Good old Foxy. Uh, and so, yeah, we can assume you didn't like anyone else. Great. Yeah, um, exactly, some, yeah. <laughs> someone you had to make up with had to make up with um, I never really got I got in training rounds with people where someone caught me with an elbow obviously being nicknamed the silent assassin I might have caught one or two people late with tackles uh, <laughs> flying in um, I wouldn't say made up with but whole, even when I was on my testimonial the obviously the contract stuff I said oh, I wouldn't say we disagree I said oh you could have done it at a different time <laughs> like uh, right now when it's a testimonial and he said yeah I know it was just how it happened to be but we've, we've always been fine still getting great now so I wouldn't say I've had to make up with anyone to be honest oh, I see that's good uh, can, can you remember anyone you did particularly side through on training um, most people if I'm honest it didn't really matter uh, Led the ball I wanted it <laughs> side through most people that's it train as you play um, yeah exactly tell us something we don't know about your time at the club my time at the club. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've got a few things that I could say, but I don't know if I want to work in coaching. I'm not sure it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you could you could adapt it slightly. I could, yeah, I could. Um, No, there is there isn't anything that I can say that won't come back to bite me if I want to coach, if I'm honest with you at the minute. Off the top of my head. If I think of something, I'll come back to it. It's good sitting on the fence. Here you go. You'll you'll answer this one, I'm sure. Your top three Norwich goals. How many did you score? Four. Excellent. Um, That's exactly the same as Simon Lappin. How about that? Um, so my first one would have more well, working from three back, so That's the way. third would be away at Stoke yes Paul I was McBain there for that uh, I, I went for and just dink, dinked over the goalie outside of the left foot I, I remember Second thinking oh my god what's he doing to Leicester <laughs> yep same and, finish <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah at home to at home to Leicester I think Wes played me through 
and uh, ran through, and I think it made it 4-2 at the time. Wonderful finish, that Shipped goal. Shipped it over the yeah. keeper, and then obviously the favourite would be Middlesbrough. So we, Just because we, it was in the, it's a Premier League goal. Exactly. Which is the one you've ditched? I think it was at home to Coventry. I think I, Steen crossed it. That's another right back I didn't <sighs> mention, actually. He was a very good footballer. Steen yeah, Niedergaard. What a player he was. Um, <laughs> Too true. Too true. Yusuf Safri. They're all coming back to me now. Uh, Safri and uh, Leon McKenzie having a fight in the physio room when I was in there. Oh, you were in there at the seat? No, Dean, Dean Ashton little, mentioned that when I spoke to him. Was that, was that when... Um, when yeah, I was, yeah exactly. uh, that, was a, uh, that was a good fight. <laughs> I think that was that. I remember Dean saying, obviously, as a boxing fan, it was the first time he'd seen a proper boxer move, <laughs> which basically Leon was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, and it was. I was in there, I was on one of the treatment. I think it was after training, uh, just going to get some treatment. And they came in, they started rowing, something got thrown, and then they started swinging for each other. And I, it was one of those ones where you can't not get up and try and stop it. But I was thinking, I'm just going to get beaten up in the middle of this. I'm not even involved. <laughs> and they both, they, they both looked hard as nails. Yeah, you, yeah, that's you know, great one-on-one defender, Adam, but probably not, you know. So my ro- my role was mostly to shout, Dean, 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 quick, stop this, stop it. <laughs> he was enjoying it from what he told me. I don't think he was going to get involved, but there you go. Um, if you bumped <laughs> if you bumped into a Norwich fan on the street now, what would you say to them? I guess this happens all the time, given you still live here. Um, what would I say to them? On the ball city? Oh gosh, you're the third player to say that. Yeah, fair enough. That's yeah, it's obviously not a very good question. Um nominate uh, uh, finally nominate a former Norwich City what do you expect me to say to I, I don't know I, I guess if if it works more if there's an ac- acrimony there I think for someone who you know was really well liked and still lives here it's a bit like well you know hello probably um, or like Holty would say do you know who I am yeah yeah. well there you go Have you, do you want to see my player of the season awards um, <laughs> final question uh, nominate a former Norwich teammate to come on next and we'll do our best to get them who are you going to nominate um you've spoke to Hux haven't you and Ewan before uh we've had Ewan on we haven't had Hux nominated specifically um but Hux has been I'm on the podcast sure all the time and you know yeah, he's, he's, he yeah. spoke a lot so yeah. no, uh, um Julian Brellier <laughs> Le Juge Omar Karoma? Can, 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 would Julian be able to speak English? I don't remember him, I don't remember <laughs> him ever doing an interview. <laughs> depends. It depends. It, it, well, when I roomed with him, we went away, he didn't speak any English. But when I came back in the room one time, so he was on Skype or something like that, he was speaking pretty good English then. So, <laughs> <laughs> it must have been I was a terrible roommate. Did he ever make you a cup of tea? No. Uh, oh, that was when I think Peter Grant was in charge at that point and we went away. And his idea was to help the new lads integrate, which is a good idea, and ming- mingle in. <laughs> go, just, yeah, go with room. So I think I was with him. Shaq was with someone to help the lads settle in. And uh, he didn't speak to me for a week, so I didn't have the effect that was expected. <laughs> well, hey, sink or swim time. Uh, I wonder where the uh, Le Juge flag is. Um, the, I know, yeah. Um, came, the supporters I was actually excited to see him play because he came with a big reputation. It is a great YouTube video when he came. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Didn't, exactly. Yeah, didn't really sustain. Um, okay. Well, um, David Fox. Dave, okay. Now, okay. This is more. Is that, okay, oh, that would be great. Fox. I'll take that. Definitely. That's exciting. Oh, Foxy. Or Gary Holt. Or Gary Holt. Oh. Okay. Tell you. You've, you've had a few more of the recent <laughs> lads, haven't you? I was thinking an old guy like Gary Holt. An old man. Let's do Gary yeah. Holt. That we, Another roommate of mine. Is it, was he good at making tea? Uh, Holt, yeah, he was. Uh, he was very efficient. Was Holt? Having been in the army and stuff, but <laughs> great roommate, great roommate, oldest guy in the world. Had to help him put his socks on most mornings before games and stuff. But what? What? He couldn't hardly move. You'd never imagine a guy that got the nickname Three Lungs. He couldn't could move. Be, he was honestly, it's like the Tin Man. <laughs> Oh gosh, we well, did but, all right uh, then. But what a guy! Yeah, what a down-to-earth top guy who always put the team before himself. Is there? Um, okay, well, well, let's try and get Gary Holt on. Is there anything specifically we should ask him? Do you think anything we should try and get out of him? Um, about Holty, about Holty. 
Nah, he was. He didn't really drink. Oh, he, uh, so there was nothing down that sort of line I could get him with. Um, no, he was. He was just salt of the earth, Holty. He was what you see is what you get. If you didn't, if you didn't like somebody, tell you honest, <laughs> brutally honest at times. <laughs> ah. Oh, brilliant! Well, that sounds like a like a great plan. Let's go and get Gary Holt on for next week. Um, but for that, Adam, uh, is your is your last duty of of the night? You survived. I, I, are you okay? Yeah, I'm all good. Thanks. I'm all good. Did you enjoy it? I did, yeah. I'm retired from podcasts, happy now. <laughs> oh, that's good. That means we've got you to ourselves an exclusive. Um, <laughs> good luck with uh, whenever we get back um, playing at Roxham. Good luck with good luck with the coaching. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you soon. Take care of yourself. And that was Adam Drury. What a lovely bloke. Um, feels like a long time since I was sharing a, a sleep out with him um, outside Carrot Road. I think it was November, was it? It's very cold. Uh, anyway, uh, that is it for On The Ball this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please tell your friends, your family, and of course your fellow Norwich City supporters. This is the On The Ball podcast. We are here each week. If you would like to get in touch with us or ask our guests a question you would love for them to answer, um, anything you want to send our way, just sling me a tweet or direct message on Twitter at Michael J. Bailey is the handle. Uh, In the meantime, a big thank you to Mr. Adam Drury. And of course, thanks to you all out there for listening and getting involved. We will be back next week, hopefully with another Canaries companion and hopefully with Mr. Drury's nomination. That will be our next edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until then, stay safe and good night.